Welcome to the Swine Health Black Belt Podcast, the latest swine health research digested for you. Swine Health Black Belt Podcast is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Get your full value from start to finish with Ilanco. At JBI, we apply biosecurity innovation and expertise to keep your operations safe. Elbiotics, the postbiotic pioneer that helps maintain a healthy gut in pigs. Beringer Ingelheim, through innovative solutions, cutting-edge research, and world-class experts, Beringer Ingelheim helps producers operate with complete confidence. Learn more at swineresource.com. United Animal Health, scientifically better. Learn more at unitedanh.com. Joining me on the Swine Health Black Belt podcast this week is Dr. Chris Gambino. Dr. Gambino is the Senior Sustainable Livestock Analyst at the Breakthrough Institute. Chris, thanks very much for joining the show and coming on here and joining us for the podcast this week. Thanks for having me, Clayton. You want to uh, give me a little background on yourself? Absolutely. So I... uh... I have a PhD in animal science. I focus mainly on kind of how nutrients cycle through livestock production systems. So I'm very interested in sustainability. Uh, then I got into teaching at kind of the undergraduate level and, and partnered with a co-author and co-investigator on some biosecurity work in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, connected to swine populations there. And that seems to kind of fit this whole thing I'm doing um, from kind of the animal welfare standpoint, as well as making sure we're not spreading disease in the swine populations in the Commonwealth and obviously across the country. A lot of people don't connect animal welfare to biosecurity, Chris, but I think the two are definitely linked. I think uh, some of the the most actionable things we could do about animal well-being, we're trying to ensure the health of the animals and preventing disease through good biosecurity is kind of the ante to that poker. Um, I know you've done some work, Chris, on biosecurity and kind of a non-traditional evaluation of biosecurity. You've chatted with some producers, you've uh, interviewed some experts, and uh, you have some some thoughts on maybe uh, where where the producers understand what the experts do or vice versa, maybe where there's some gaps in that knowledge. You want to talk to us a little bit about your survey work, kind of the methodology, and then what you've learned from that biosecurity investigation? Absolutely. So like I mentioned, a, a colleague, a co-investigator, who's the swine specialist for Penn State Extension, Dr. Elizabeth Hines, we partnered on this project. Uh, as the swine specialist, her job is to kind of get as many people on board and educated about biosecurity in the Commonwealth, uh, particular to swine. And what we think we know and have seen is over time, the kind of sage on the stage model no longer works, just handing people information, educating them doesn't seem to get the job done on getting people to kind of adopt, whether it be technologies, which I'm more involved in now, or just practices in general. And so what we did to go about to kind of figure out how then do we hand off this knowledge, because from kind of the expert standpoint, there are best management practices, there are things to adopt, there are technologies, is to, to figure out what, what are people thinking about biosecurity. And so we surveyed... Uh, a lot of the producers in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and asked them a plethora of questions about their perceptions, some open-ended ones, some kind of check-the-box inventory type scales to really figure out how they're thinking about biosecurity. And what we found was pretty interesting. So from kind of the open-ended perspective, we got both swine producer as well as kind of experts, whether it be veterinarians or folks on the ground dealing with biosecurity issues like folks at APIST. Uh, to tell us kind of how they define biosecurity 
And we found some differences between the per- persons kind of raising the animals and the quote unquote experts that are kind of studying the issues. Uh, by and large, they all recognize across the board that kind of inward prevention was a thing that needed to happen, that we need to limit outside access. Okay, but that's kind of where the folks raising the animals stopped. They really understood and saw like we got to put up as much barriers as possible. What they didn't seem to hint on, right? And these are their words without prompting was the idea of what's going on inside their herd, what's going on inside the buildings. Whereas the experts were just as likely as saying, yeah, we need to focus on inward prevention and limiting outside access as they were to say, what's going on within the herd. So within prevention, spreading from pen to pen. Uh, In addition, experts added this idea of herd health, which we just talked about. And you mentioned Clayton Um, and herd health is, it's clearly from kind of a stress management standpoint, from a nutritional standpoint, all of that being equally important to give the animal this innate immunity to have them be as strong, as healthy as possible in disease prevention and spread. And so those were some differences we saw in the conversation. And so I think that lends to potentially some of the ways that this gets communicated and then how actions can happen. Uh, I, I recognize that a lot of people are, you know, have a line of separation and, and that's common practice, or at least they have the understanding, the idea. And we saw that too, when it came to identifying strategies, the persons raising the animals recognize PPE as important, recognize line of separation as important. I think the one thing that was different between the experts and the producers on the strategy side was experts seem to to think that workforce training is really important. And it didn't come up in the producer conversation, maybe because they're just inundated with it and they're, they're over it. But experts still seem to harp on the importance of workforce training as a strategy to mitigate and kind of prevent biosecurity issues. So that's what we heard and saw from kind of the open-ended questions. And I think that's all relevant. And then, Clayton, we took it a step further and there's this inventory, 31 questions about important and not and, and not important at all and highly important to this idea of a good farmer. And that comes out of Iowa State. It was originally focused on field crops and field crop farmers, and we adapted it for livestock. And so then we sent that out to the, the swine producers in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and we got information back. And essentially what it does is based on responses of what they think is important or not important at all to a good producer. So this person that's producing, like, what does it mean to be good? Based on those responses, they get categorized. And in the original one, there's four categories. And what we found is this fifth category. So one of the categories in the original work for good farmer was this productivist category. Someone who's focused on the most yield per acreage right? Like high efficiency, high output. Um, and, and that category shows up again within the swine producers, but it's, it actually gets teased apart between one that is yield focused. So the most, the highest average daily gain, the, the best feed efficiency. So there's that still, but then there's one that we ended up labeling appearance minded. And this one really focused on essentially the importance of property lines being clear of brush, farms looking nice from the road, having the latest feed and chemical technology and clean facilities. And so we labeled it appearance-minded. 
And what we found preliminarily was when you take these categories and try to predict which of these producers were most likely to have a biosecurity plan in place, we found that the it tended to be that the appearance-minded folks were more likely to have a biosecurity plan in place. Now, the question is, which which we can't answer definitively, is is why? And it could be, right, that these are the clean freaks. These are the people that are really obsessed with clean surfaces and everything, hate germs, and so it's just in their type A personality to have a, to run a clean ship. Also, which which could actually play into how extension folks work and communicate is it could be this kind of peer-to-peer shaming. It could be that these folks are, are, are so worried about what they look like from the road that it's some aspect of kind of wanting to make sure no one's judging them. And that leads to them wanting to have these, these practices in place. Um, and those, I, whichever one that might be is going to be really important for how we then get kind of the, the next persons to adopt this. Uh, on the flip side, one of the categories that was least likely to have a biosecurity plan in place was what was referred to in the original work and in our work as the willing naturalist. Um, and some of the things that that categorized this grouping and what they were grouped around was essentially kind of this notion of minimizing pesticides and antibiotic use um, and, and, main, and kind of using diverse forages, but also trying new practices and, and sharing knowledge. So it was really interesting and, and we don't know why they were significant in terms of predicting ha- not having a biosecurity plan in place, but they seem to be the person that's willing to try stuff. So it's it's shocking, but maybe that's something to capitalize on is that they they do want to share knowledge, right? So then you can utilize their their willingness to share um, from peer to peer to get them to buy into these best management biosecurity practices. Likewise, because they're willing to try new things um, and, and in that grouping, you can capitalize on that idea and, and get them to try new biosecurity practices. So I think that's important. And so those are two of the biggest things we found, Clayton. L-Biotics, the pioneer postbiotic for digestive health in pigs. Brought to you by Adair Biome. With over a century of experience in postbiotics for digestive health, L-Biotics contains heat-treated lactobacillus cell bodies and their metabolites. Stable by nature, L-Biotics can be easily stored and incorporated in compound feed. It's terribly uh, interesting stuff, Chris, and I'm very glad to hear that you're working on kind of the social sciences aspect of biosecurity because it's hard to look at our industry and not see, you know, tons of opportunity for biosecurity. And I think we've got to think uh, more outside the box on the traditional way in which we go to the farm, we audit the farm, we give them a written report of the things we don't see well, and we make the same recommendations we've been making for the last five years. Um, so at the end of the day, the pigs don't lie. And if your disease outbreak rate is, is not where you want it to be, you've got to make some changes in order to improve that. Um, really appreciate uh, you working in the area, Chris, and thanks for coming on the podcast today. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time, Clayton. Yep. To our audience, thank you very much for joining us on the Swine Health Black Belt Podcast. For Dr. Chris Cambino, um, Dr. Clayton Johnson, it's been a pleasure, Chris, to have you on. Look forward for you to come back and tell us how the research progresses here in a couple weeks or months. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. Hey, everyone. We're always searching for the latest and greatest research to share each week. 
If you have a swine health-related research trial and would like to come on the show to talk about it with me and share it with our audience, feel free to send an email to healthblackbelt at swineit.com, and we would love to take a look at your research.